Let us now turn in the scriptures to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, uh, we will be reading verses 13 through 17. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Thanks be to God for his holy word. As we uh, approach our text this morning, uh, we would do well to consider the context. It is the third day in the Passion Week, which would end in the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And the Jewish leaders have begun to find reasons to destroy Jesus by questioning his authority. Why? Uh, Because they felt threatened by his authority. The day prior, he walked into the temple, cleansed it, and cast a judgment on the corrupt system and its leaders. He declared judgment on those who claimed to be the people of God because judging by their fruits, that is, their lifestyle, and what that lifestyle produced, they proved not to be his people. So this becomes a clash of authority figures. And also it is a clash between what will soon pass away and the new order of things under the Messiah. So in fear of losing their own authority and sway over the people, they sent a delegation of Pharisees and some of the Herodians. The Herodians were those who followed Herod and were loyal to his dynasty. His dynasty was used as a a vassal state or a servant of Rome. And the Herodians were a political group who wanted independence from Rome, much like the Pharisees. Now, the motive behind their questioning was that they were seeking to destroy Jesus as they once plotted before. And to do this, they try to paint Jesus as either an insurrectionist against the government or a traitor to his own people. So when they approached him, they sought to trap him as they asked him a highly political question. Beginning with some flattery, of course. Meaning, they approached him and said things about him that they didn't really mean so that they could trap him. They had their own selfish motives, their own selfish reasonings for saying these things. Listen to this. They begin by addressing him as teacher, even though they didn't submit to him as their teacher. They say, we know that you are true, And do not care about anyone's opinion. In other words, Jesus, we know that you show no partiality and you don't use flattery. See the irony? They're using flattery to flatter a non-flatterer. And they give the reason. 
For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Notice, first they're already showing their hypocrisy by using flattery. Also, secondly, they're already going off into extremes. They begin to set up man's ways against God's ways, as if man's ways are always opposed to God's ways. They set up God versus Caesar, as if everything about Caesar is always opposed to God. And since he just told them in an indirect way that his authority came from God, they wanted to see how extreme he was going to be in his response. Because notice the question. They ask, is it lawful, speaking of God's law, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, for background, the taxes they are speaking of is not just any old tax. In the Greek language, there are different words used for the different types of taxes. And this word used for tax is speaking of a poll tax. A poll tax is a tax that is enforced on all adults in Judea without regard for income or whether or not you own anything. So rich, poor, jobless, or homeless, you had to pay this tax. It was an oppressive tax system. And most Jews did not approve of this tax. Now the interesting fact to note is that Jesus was a Galilean. So he wasn't required to pay this tax. Because this tax was only imposed on those in Judea. A different region altogether. You see, the Herodians were from Galilee. So based on his answer, the Herodians could report back to Herod the Great. And Herod could have reported to Caesar. And they would have trapped him. So they were used specifically to trap Jesus. Now we will see here the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And then we will see our responsibility in light of their question. It says, but Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why put me to the test? Uh, This sounds much like when Jesus' interaction with Satan, uh, where he quoted scripture. He said, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So by saying, why put me to the test? He is saying to them, you sound much like Satan right about now. They're trying to trap him. But he already knew their hypocrisy. So knowing their hypocrisy and to further expose it, what did he tell them to do? He said, bring me a denarius. That is the Roman coin used to pay taxes. And let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Now, why would bringing a denarius to him expose their hypocrisy even more? Well, first, you must understand what was on the coin. There was an image of Tiberius Caesar and a Latin inscription that said, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. So this was not only politically offensive, but this was also religiously offensive. Offensive to the Jews. It was blasphemous 
to call any human divine, especially a pagan. This is why it is worth understanding the history of Judea at this time. See, the Jewish leaders believed that using these coins was the same as engaging in idolatry. So they were able, with Roman approval, to produce and to circulate copper coins that was worth just as much, but it had no inscription or image of Caesar on them. They were blank coins that were locally minted. So when Jesus asked them for a coin, they brought him one with the inscription and an image of Caesar on it. Wait a minute. I thought that was forbidden. I thought you weren't supposed to be using these coins. I thought it was idolatrous. You see the the hypocrisy. They were not even supposed to have these coins according to the hypocrites. They were engaged in the same so-called idolatry which they had been forbidden to do. Someone in this group of delegates brought to him an idolatrous coin as Jesus just exposed their hypocrisy. Also, notice the motive. They asked Jesus this question about taxes in order to get a yes or no answer from Jesus. If he answers yes, it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then Jesus would be made out to look like a traitor to his own people who were burdened with such taxes or that he was lacking true patriotism. But if he answered no, he would be made out to look like an insurrectionist, guilty of a treason, much like those who belonged to the group called the Zealots. We know one of the Zealots from Jesus' group of disciples, Simon the Zealot. But he was called out of this group called the Zealots, to be called into a new group of disciples. Because Jesus' way was going to be a different way than the Zealots. Now, who were the Zealots? Well, the Zealots were a group who were inspired by a rebel named Judas of Galilee. And in 6 AD, he tried to lead a rebellion. And one of the reasons for this rebellion was to abolish the poll tax. You see the connection. And he would justify his actions by pitting man's laws against God's laws. And that he was not obligated to obey man's laws. He would say to this effect, God is our king, not Caesar. God is our only master. He was saying that allegiance to God and to Rome was incompatible. We see this reasoning all the time coming from many Christians who say they're obligated to obey God's laws, but they're not obligated to obey man's laws, as if they're always opposed to one another. Some of them say to get out of paying taxes, or maybe to not obey the speed limit, right? Some believe that the only legitimate government in this world is a Christian government. It could be the best form of government, but it is not the only legitimate form of government. And we often forget that Christians have a dual citizenship. We have a citizenship in heaven and on earth. And we are responsible to both. 
we are responsible to both. So, was Jesus an enemy of the people, or was he an enemy of the state? Whatever answer he gives, either road would lead to his destruction. They wanted a clear yes or no answer. But Jesus' response would still have them wondering, what side is he on? He wouldn't give them a clear answer besides the fact that we do have a responsibility to man, and that we do have a greater responsibility to God. And they're not always in opposition. So first, we do have a responsibility to man or to the state. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The word render is another way of saying, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You see his face on the coin, give it back to him and pay your taxes. You owe that to him. So yes, you owe your obedience to the authorities that are placed over you. Why? Because God put them there. Remember, we believe God is sovereign over all things. And if he chooses, he'll put a pagan over you. And you are required to obey. Now this is a turning point for the history of God's people. From the old order of things when Israel had their own nation with their own civil laws to being spread around the world into many different nations, living among unbelievers and even being governed by them. And guess what? This is where the church finds herself today. This is where the church found herself in the early church and this is where the church will remain until the Lord returns. We are reminded daily that we are pilgrims or exiles on this earth. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13. Yet we still have obligations to the authorities that have been placed over us. This is what is behind Paul's line of reasoning when he says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Who were the governing authorities in his time? They were pagans. Haters of God. And those who were killing Christians. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed. So instead of going off into extremes, we are to think of All authorities, even pagan authorities, as instituted by God. This is a breaking point for the Jews because Jesus is saying that Caesar's rule and government is legitimate. It is legitimate. Even though they were there at this point in time under Caesar's rule, Because they did not accept God's authority. So now they're being ruled by other nations who do not know God. But still, Jesus is communicating to them that pagan authority is a form of lawful and legitimate authority. We see this especially in the story of Joseph. And how he was second in command to a pagan king, Pharaoh. This is why it is important in the Christian life to make distinctions. Many who are lacking in maturity 
are the same who lack in making distinctions. There are so many consciences that are so bound and enslaved all because we can't make distinctions. For instance, there are distinctions between the church and state. Both serve God and His purposes, but the state is not responsible for preaching the gospel and the church is not responsible for sending criminals to prison. There are distinctions between what we do here in the gathering of the saints and what we do out there, isn't there? The public gathering of worship is not the same as going to work or going fishing or paying taxes. You're probably asking, do you really have to say that? But believe it or not, there are those out there teaching that everything is worship. They say you can worship while you work. You can worship while you play. You can worship from anywhere on any day in any way. I know I sound like Dr. Seuss, but anyway. It's like that old saying made popular among evangelicals. You can't be a Sunday-only Christian. Now, I agree with that saying. But unfortunately, it has led many Christians to think that church is no longer important for the sake of weekly social activism. It undervalues the biblical view of setting apart one day in seven to gather with God's people to worship God, all because we lost the ability to make distinctions. Now, Jesus wasn't giving us a detailed command for every situation and every circumstance when it comes to paying taxes. That wasn't the purpose here. He is not saying we are to submit to government in everything. He is not saying we are to ignore the injustices that are coming from the top down. Remember the point. He was exposing their hypocrisy. But at the same time, he was also saying you are responsible to other men. You're not worshiping Caesar by paying taxes to him. There is a difference. But also, there is a line. There is a line. These distinctions are not ultimate or absolute. We know there is a time to say no to governing authorities. Think of the examples of the Hebrew midwives who refused to obey Pharaoh when he told them to kill the Hebrew sons that were born because they feared God. Or when John the Baptist confronted King Herod over his sin of adultery. Or when Peter and the apostles were brought before the high priest and the Jewish council and they charged them not to preach in Jesus' name, they responded, no. We must obey God rather than men. And they continued preaching. Just like many who have been arrested over the years. Or think of when some Christians hid Jews in their homes during the Holocaust refusing to give them up to the Nazis because they knew they would be slaughtered. Also in the case that Caesar demands our worship or if the government commands that we are not to worship God, we are to respond, no. No. Think of the example of Daniel. He was obedient to King Darius, who was the king of Babylon, a pagan king, of a pagan nation. 
He was to become distinguished above all the other high officials in Babylon, much like Joseph, until the authorities commanded him not to pray to God. He said, no. And he was ready to face the consequences. Think of it. He even changed his name. He allowed them to change his name to a pagan name. But when it came to his relationship to God, he said no. Now when we say no, it shouldn't be done flippantly without regard for their authority. And it shouldn't be done without praying for their souls. For the Christian, it should not be the norm or the rule to say no. It should be the exception to the rule. And Jesus clarifies this by saying, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Because we do have a responsibility to man, but also we have an even higher responsibility to God. And this is what he was ultimately getting at. This is the main point. Secondly, he says, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. You see, their hypocrisy revealed that they were a little too preoccupied with these sorts of worldly questions, and they spent much of their time trying to trap Jesus while ignoring their highest responsibility to God. Jesus knew their hearts behind the question. And he flipped it on them. He turned the question that was about worldly things into things about God. What they made about Caesar, he made about God and his authority over them. Paying taxes to Caesar is not idolatry. But forgetting God is. And they were already engaged in it. They had forgotten God. This is the point he was trying to make. This is why it is important to ask, what is the condition of the people that Jesus is speaking to? In what area did the Jewish leaders fail? They failed in governing the house of God, the temple. The temple was no longer a house of prayer for all nations, and it was no longer a place of worship It had become a place of business and trade. They were to render to God worship, which was His due, and they didn't. They were blending the sacred and the secular. There was no more distinction. Because Jesus was in a way telling them, my kingdom is not of this world. Why are you asking me this sort of question?" My kingdom is not going to be established and governed the way the world establishes and governs their kingdoms. And what you ought to be concerned about is not whether or not you will be in your own kingdom that you made in this world, but whether or not you will be in that kingdom that is coming. Forget Caesar's kingdom. That's going to pass away very soon. And it did, didn't it? So in a way, he's telling them, you need to check your priorities here. You got them backwards. And we should ask ourselves from time to time, are we overly concerned about the kingdoms of this world? While at the same time, ignoring the kingdom that is coming. 
Because truthfully, we should also ask, what else are we to render to God? Is worship all that we render to God? The Jewish leaders not only failed in the worship of God, but they also failed in doing all things to the glory of God. They didn't keep the first four commandments, nor the last six commandments. They didn't love God, nor love their neighbors. That's why they were seeking to destroy Jesus, right? If they were truly seeking to render to God the things that are God's, they would have been leading the people of God in the true worship of God. And they wouldn't have been seeking to kill Jesus. Instead of only worrying about their current situation in the world, like their position and status, they should have been asking themselves where they were with God. Were they seeking to serve Him first? That's the point of this passage. Where are you with God? Forget the temporary stuff. That's going to pass. And men are just going to prove to be men once again. And know that Jesus, the man that was standing right in front of them, was the only way that they were to be reconciled to God. Yet they rejected it. They rejected it. Because in all actuality, what are we to render to God? Everything. Paul said we are to do all things to the glory of God. And that involves the way we live in society, doesn't it? Paul calls us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. But that doesn't mean we get rid of these distinctions between what we do as a people of God when we gather for worship and what we do when we pay our taxes, work at our jobs, where we will be in immediate contact with unbelievers, etc. We are called to honor God in different and distinct ways, like that saying, there is a time and a place for everything, says the writer of Ecclesiastes. Because today, many people are asking, what is the church going to do in light of the hateful, violent onslaught attacking Christianity? And since the church is called to follow Jesus Christ and emulate His earthly ministry, because Paul says this when he says we are to suffer for Christ, And suffer with him. Some churches have thought that it is their priority. To be getting political or being socially active. Now as individual Christians if that's your prerogative and you want to be active in that manner. Do it. And pray the Lord would supply all your needs. No one's stopping you. But when you ask what is the church going to do. Well, we are to be the church and remain the church. We're not to be confused with a socio-political entity. We are a gathering of God's people who on Sunday morning are to give our due praise and worship to God. We are not to confuse the gathering with a political party or a socially active movement. Now, does being a Christian have social implications? Of course it does. But remember the point that Jesus is trying to get across in this dialogue with the Pharisees and Herodians. He he wasn't trying to give them a detailed practical outline on how to live under a godless king. He wasn't getting into all the circumstances of when you are to obey or when you are allowed not to obey Caesar. 
They ask him a political question, and he responds with a spiritual answer. He responds by reminding them of their most important duty. He directs their minds to their duty to God. So in a way, he was saying, I'm not going to say what you expect me to say. Because ultimately, his mission was to glorify God first. If we were to be honest with ourselves, we would be guilty of exactly the same things that the Pharisees and Herodians were guilty of. Because Jesus would prove to be the only one who perfectly rendered to God that which is God's. He obeyed his father perfectly and he completed his work and redeemed his people. He came to die for them. And that is what they truly needed. That is the message the church bears. We're not here to tell you who to vote for. We won't be passing out voting cards in November. We're here to tell you who is in power no matter who you vote for. We're here to tell you who put that person in power. We're not here to tell you how to get your taxes lowered or how to lower inflation or how to lower your gas prices. There are local politicians who tell you those things and you can appeal to them. I have my opinions, but I can't bind you to those opinions. We should ask the question, what image is on the $20 bill? The White House. Go to them. Go there. That's their job. The question is, when the church asks you, when you come through those doors, is what are you here for? What are you here for? Is it to render to God that which is God's? And I'm here to tell you that your ultimate need is not to be liberated from high taxes. You need to be liberated from your sin first and foremost. Because sin has you bound in shackles and has separated you from God. You need to be liberated so that you are in a right and free relationship with God. Because without that liberty... You never truly have liberty, no matter how free you think you are. We need to be reminded of this, especially in our highly political climate today. We shouldn't be alarmed, nor driven to fear any human government. But we ought to fear God, who has placed that government there for us. And we need to be reminded of the good news of the gospel. Because that alone can transform the hearts of both the oppressors and the oppressed, then maybe, and I say maybe, we'll have a more just society with lower taxes. Or maybe not, because men are still men at best. So before we get bogged down with silly questions we may have about the Bible or about Jesus, because we often do sometimes just to get out of listening to Jesus, maybe we should examine if our questions are coming from a hardness of heart, or if it is just a distraction from what is our most important duty that we owe to God. 
Listen to what Jesus commanded us and what this delegation lacked in doing. He said, seek first the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all the things that are burdening you today, all your needs will be added to you. Amen.